and welcome to After Alexander. Episode 34, Second of His Name. Last time in the narrative, Antiochus II acceded to sole power when his father died in 261 BCE. However, we haven't really encountered our new king in any great detail before. In point of fact, the only time he's warranted a mention is in relation to his mother or his elder brother. So, today let's rectify that and discuss what we know about Antiochus II. Now, Unlike with many of his siblings, we actually have a birth year for him. He was born in 286 BCE in Syria, during the reign of his grandfather Seleucus I. Through his mother Stratonike, he was the maternal grandson of our old friend Demetrius I, and also a great-grandson of Antipater, the former regent to Alexander's empire. After his birth, however, he remains relatively quiet for a few years, as we've already discussed. He wasn't the heir to his father's empire, after all. Instead, his elder brother Seleucus became co-king with his father. As discussed in episode 30, there has been at least some speculation that Antiochus II might have been a junior king as part of a rule of three, but it doesn't seem to be a popular hypothesis as of yet, and it's not the version of the narrative I'm going with. Added to that, his name isn't mentioned on the Antiochus Cylinder in 268 BCE while his brother is, which would seem to disprove the hypothesis at least up until that point. However, as we've already discussed, Antiochus would be unexpectedly thrust into the limelight. His elder brother, Seleucus the Young King, became dissatisfied with his relative lack of power even after years of co-kingship. After all, his father Antiochus I had had far more power in the exact same situation, becoming the sole king after about 13 years of rule alongside his father Seleucus I. So, Seleucus the young king may have wanted to speed his accession to sole power up a bit. Added to this, he may also have been angry about his father's possible remarriage to a woman called Nyssa. Accordingly, he went into a rebellion. We don't seem to know a lot about this revolt, but it must have failed, because Antiochus I had his son executed for it in about 266 BCE. See episode 30 for a more in-depth discussion. With his brother's death, Antiochus the Younger was accordingly elevated to the co-kingship as his brother's replacement. Even before 266 BCE, when he became the heir to his father's domains, we know that Antiochus was already married. The bride was Laodike, the daughter of Achaeus the Elder and his paternal first cousin. I'm going to be referring to Laodike as Laodike I from now on, to avoid confusion with all the other Laodikes in this story. Historically, it was apparently thought that Laodike might have been a daughter of Antiochus I and his second wife, Bevan lists two children by this marriage, Alexander and Laodike, in his 1902 book House of Seleucus. However, both of these children are currently listed as children of Achaeus, so this theory seems to have been refuted from what I can make out. My plan is to come back to Achaeus and Laodike in a separate episode, 
as it's probably worth catching up with the life and family of Antiochus's younger brother, given that we've really only mentioned him once. For now, however, all you need to know is that Antiochus and Laodike I were married. They would have five children together, Seleucus, Antiochus, Apama, Stratonike, and Laodike. We only have birth dates for two of these children. Little Seleucus was born in 265 BCE, and little Antiochus in about 259. However, we do know that little Laodike was the youngest, and that little Stratonike must have been born before 257 BCE, as this is when a marriage was arranged for her. Given that Greek custom says that the eldest male child is named after their grandfather, perhaps this same logic would make little Stratonike the oldest daughter. However, this is speculation on my part. In 261 BCE, Antiochus II became sole king when his father died. Apparently, he was in Babylon at the time. His transition to power seems to have been smoother than that of his father, given that Bevan notes that, quote, In Asia Minor, the reign of the second Antiochus seems, from what we can see, to have been till the peace with Egypt merely a continuation of the reign of Antiochus I, end quote. In addition, his rule in Syria seems to have been accepted relatively easily. That said, he did change his father's hostile relationship with Pergamon, allowing Eumenes the reign over his extended territory as a subordinate of the Seleucids. This was probably a nice change of pace for Eumenes from an imminent threat of reprisal. One thing to note about Antiochus II is that our lack of information about the personality of Antiochus I is thrown out of the window with Antiochus II. Rawlinson's Manual of Ancient History lambasts him as a weak ruler and uses the term effeminate to describe him, while Bevan lampoons him as a, quote, hopeless drunkard, end quote. However, Bevan does note that the information that has survived about him may be biased, quote, we should do well to accept the stories of the scandalmongers with some reserve, or at any rate to remember that there was probably a great deal more that could be said about Antiochus II. What sort of idea should we have of Philip of Macedon or Julius Caesar if all we knew about them were the stories on which gossip loved to dwell? End quote. Now, obviously, these past authors are no doubt biased by historical perceptions of femininity and personality. For example, Bevan spends a while focusing on Antiochus II's jaw and face shape and somehow connecting that to his personality. However, if we try to strip back the problematic filters of the late 19th and early 20th century, the picture that remains is still someone who perhaps enjoyed the luxuries in life more than his father or grandfather did. Or at least, we know more about it than we did for our previous two rulers. As we'll see near the end of our story, this stereotypical image of weakness, impulse, and hedonism might well be deserved, but that's for another episode. To round off our discussion today, let's zoom out once again and refresh ourselves on what the geopolitical situation is throughout the Hellenistic world. The able rule of Ptolemy I and Ptolemy II means that Egypt has been flourishing, maintaining control of the contested territories along the Levantine coast and in the south of Anatolia. However, their westernmost territory of Cyrenaica, under Ptolemy II's half-brother Magas, has seceded and won't be incorporated back into Egypt for about another decade at this point. To the north, 
Antigonus II has now brought together Thrace, Macedon, and Greece under his own hegemony, and Alexander II has succeeded his father Pyrrhus in Epirus. I will get to Pyrrhus eventually, I promise. Over the Hellespont, meanwhile, Anatolia has begun to fracture since 281 BCE, with Pergamon somewhat decoupling itself from Seleucid influence and expanding, as we've seen previously. Southern Anatolia is under the control of the Ptolemaic dynasty, and the north is divided between several states such as Cappadocia, Bithynia, Pontus, and Galatia. Heading south beyond the Taurus Mountains, the region is split between the Seleucids in the north and the Ptolemies in the south. And as we discussed in episode 20, the Nabataeans are present in the very south, and are beginning to coalesce into a kingdom along the Red Sea. Beyond that, there's not much to discuss for our purposes. The Seleucids control Babylon and the eastern satrapies, with the easternmost provinces of Alexander's former empire under the control of the Mauryan Empire, now under Ashoka the Great. So, that's our introduction of Antiochus II, and a lightning-quick summary of the Hellenistic world in 261 BCE. Next time, we'll plunge back into the wars and strife of the Hellenistic world, introducing the Cremonidaean War which had kept Ptolemy II distracted and focused on parties other than the Seleucids until now. Until then, thank you all for listening. Feel free to get in touch at the show's email address for any questions or comments. Until next time, have a great week everyone.